לקוטי סיכס, חלק י"ט, פרשס כיסייצי, סיכא גימל. In this week's Torah portion, in chapter 24, פרק כ"ד, verses 1 and 2, פסוקים א' ומבייז, Torah teaches us the laws of marriage and divorce and remarriage. The verses read, פסוק א', כי ייקח איש אישה ובעולה. When a man takes a woman and is intimate with her, and they divorce for a moral lapse on her part, he writes her a bill of divorce, and she leaves his home. Verse 2, she ends that marriage, She then marries another. The Talmud in Kiddushin, which deals with the laws governing marriage, teaches that it's here in these verses that we learn that acquiring a wife transpires in three possible ways. By monetary acquisition. In other words, the woman acquires monetary, some monetary value for, in marriage. with a writ of marriage, and the third thing is with intimacy. The words, when a man takes a woman, alludes to acquiring a wife by monetary means, an exchange of funds by way of a gift of value, like the ring a man puts on his wife's finger under the chuppah. The word, uva'ola, and he's intimate with her, speaks to acquiring a wife through intimacy. And the requirement of a writ of marriage is learned through the words that tell us that if they divorce, there is a requirement that he hand her a bill of divorce. And our sages teach that as he acquired her, so the marriage ends. He ends the marriage with a document just as she was brought into the marriage with a document. Though each of these three are ways in which a woman becomes married, yet the custom is to sanctify marriage with monetary acquisition, or that which is symbolic of this, like a ring, with something of monetary value. And this prevalent custom suits the order of the verse, which first mentions this with the words, kiyikach, when a man will acquire or take. Everything in Torah is intentional and precise, and indeed, this precision can be seen in this, that it is the monetary acquisition more than the act of intimacy or the marriage document that emphasizes the essence of a consecrated union. How is this so? In the same Talmudic tract in Kedushan, we learn yet another lesson regarding the monetary aspect of acquiring a wife, which is based on a verse in the Torah portion of Mishpatim. The Torah speaks of a situation where a parent, a Jewish father or mother, sells a daughter into slavery, usually because of penury. And while she isn't actually a slave, as she holds a special position in the house, where she does her work and is cared for by certain laws of Torah, she is released, the Torah teaches, by her master to freedom 
without having to buy her freedom if her care was neglected, as the Torah describes it should be. Or I should say contrary to the way the Torah describes it should be. There is no payment, says the Gemara, to her master from whom she is released, but there may be payment to her father who might receive payment when she becomes married as she is still a minor. The two sources for marriage through monetary acquisition indicate a difference determined by which source we learn this from, whether from the source in our Parsha, from the words ki ikach ish, isha, when a man takes a woman, or from the source in Mishpatim that says the Jewish maidservant goes free and does not pay for her freedom. There is no payment involved. To contemplate and understand the difference, we look to an explanation of the Rogachavar who says, what is the cause and what is the result, the effect? Is the cause acquisition by the woman and thereby the result is marriage? Or is marriage the cause and thereby the woman acquires something of monetary value? In other words, does marriage happen because a woman accepts a monetary sum or is it the opposite? She receives a ring or something of monetary value and accepts it now that she is married. The Raghachava brings proof to both of these possibilities. And the Raghachava says as follows, There is a law that if a husband tosses the divorce document to his wife as she stands on public property and the document lands nearer to her than where he is standing, she is considered divorce, and the same is true regarding a marriage document or even a ring. And this is a law according to the Rishonim, the designators of Jewish law who lived during the 11th to 15th centuries prior to the writing of the Shulchan Aruch, who determined in regards to a marriage by, marriage by monetary acquisition that this would be so tossing an object of monetary value into the space of where a woman stands would deem her married. Now, in this scenario, because the object may not have actually landed in the halachic perimeter of her Dalit Amis, of her halachically designated personal space, wherein which she could lay claim to something, how indeed would she be deemed married? We thus deduce that the declaration of marriage is the cause, the primary event, and the result is that she acquires something of monetary value, the ring tossed at her, or tossed in her direction, which will belong to her even if it's not in her halachically designated personal space, if it follows marriage. But then the Rogachover also brings a proof for the other. The money, her acquiring an object of monetary value, making the marriage a viable marriage. And this is based upon the Talmud in Baba Basra's explanation of the idea of retracting one's words within a limited amount of time of having spoken them and the halachic implications thereof. 
Usually, one could retract one's words immediately. If one says something, but immediately, in that, in that same statement, retracts what one has said, it is considered retracted. Yet, regarding Kiddushin, a declaration of intent to marry, there is no such opportunity for retraction, even immediately after making the declaration of marriage. The Rashbam explains this saying, that if a man married a woman before two witnesses, and then immediately retracted his intent and said, I only meant the ring as an ordinary gift and not to declare intent to marry. His words are to be ignored and she is married. There is a caveat that the marriage has yet to be finalized. The challenge here, here regarding the Rajbam's explanation is that he describes the situation as a man who retracts the status of the ring to an ordinary gift, and not as one who retracts everything and asks for the ring to be retracted because of a change of heart. The explanation of the Rajbam thus provides proof that in a situation when one immediately expresses the desire to retract a monetary transfer, it's a valid retraction, as it's as though he's still speaking. It's when he attempts to retract the intent to marry, which cannot be retracted, not the money aspect of this. He doesn't care about the ring. As far as he's concerned, she can have it as a gift, but he doesn't want the marriage, that his words even immediately are ignored. This then is the proof of the Ragged Shavar that indicates that the cause is the monetary object of Kenyan, of acquisition that validates marriage because of the cause was the Kiddush in the marriage, and as a result she acquired a ring, the Gemara would be self-explanatory. Marriage cannot be verbally retracted. If he wants to retract everything, and so he is ignored because whereas she acquired a ring as a result of marriage, and the declaration of intent to marry cannot be retracted, he would no longer be able to retract the ring or the money she acquired. It's only when we learn that the monetary acquisition is that which causes the marriage to be formalized, which means he would therefore be able to retract the money, as is the law, that the Rashbam's explanation becomes necessary so that we understand that this discussion is about someone who doesn't regret the financial aspect, only the marriage. He wants to change the status of the ring to an ordinary gift. And therein is the difference between the two ways in which we learned in the two individual sources in Torah that marriage transpires through monetary acquisition. That marriage transpires this way from our parsha, ki kach ish isha, if a man takes a wife, or from mishpatim, ve'etziachinam ein kesef, that the Jewish maidservant gets her freedom and there's no payment involved. The payment is only is not to her master, but the payment would be later to her father. In the verse, ki kach ish isha, if a man takes a wife, Emphasis is on what the man does. But in the verse and its explanation on that she goes free without pay, explained as 
this master doesn't receive payment. But if she were to marry another, because she's a minor, her father would receive money. It's about who receives the money. So again, in Kikach Ish Isha, the man, it's what he does. In the maidservant going free, it's about what someone receives. Therefore, if we learn that a marriage causes a monetary exchange from our parsha, then the lesson is that the transaction, the husband giving the money, validates the marriage. He marries her and thereby she acquires this money or a ring. But when talking about the Jewish maidservant and her father potentially acquiring money if she marries, if she marries another, then her status as married isn't about what she is given by her husband. They're married based on whomever receives the money and whenever, um, or, or the ring. And when that's received, everything in the revealed parts of Torah flows from the esoteric part of Torah. And so it is in our discussion as well. The intrinsic explanation in a woman being acquired by her husband is understood as the unification of God and the nation of Israel. And this is a well-known explanation. This unification takes place through the three possible ways of financial acquisition, a document, or intimacy. And just as in marriage, in its basic intention, contains these two aspects, so too between God and a Jew. The two aspects are a woman belonging to her husband and thus forbidden to another man, reflecting a Jew's attachment to God and the distance we create between ourselves and that which blocks that attachment, keeping ourselves holy and separate from the world's unusual temptations and offerings. And just as in a sanctified marriage we can't separate these two things, being connected to one's spouse and thus forbidden to anyone else, so it is in our relationship with God. As we study in Chayvaz Halvavay's duties of the heart, it's an impossible thing for us to do to contain both love of God and love of the world. Accordingly, we can understand the intrinsic reason for why the Jewish custom is to marry particularly with a monetary exchange or acquisition, in other words, a ring. The bond we have with God, the yearning and the attachment, is essentially connected to the aspect of kesef, which spiritually is the root of the word nichseif, as in nichseif nichsafti, deep yearning, a yearning of love which seeks to cleave to God. For no effort is like a labor of love. Accordingly, we can understand the internal meaning of the two explanations of the Rogachavar that we discussed regarding marrying through monetary acquisition, whether it's the acquisition that brings the marriage viability or the marriage that brings to the acquisition, both ideals are divine truths and both resonate in the spiritual reality. The acquisition, the love, implies a Jew's cleaving to God and the sanctified marriage, Kiddushin, 
from the word separateness implies our separateness from the matters of the physical world. So the acquisition is the kesef as in ichsef, the love, the yearning, that is the Jews cleaving to God. The kiddushin, the sanctified marriage, which would, if, in, if that is primary, implies the separation, the separateness and the separation from matters of this physical world. Within this exists the two ways discussed, and which of them is in fact the cause and comes first depends on the manner of aveda, of service, whether it's a service from below to above or above to below. In the service from below to above, marriage is first, kiddushin, the effort a Jew makes to separate himself from the desires of this world, awakening within himself, indeed making space for an awakening of love of God and a yearning for closeness. The acquisition, the kesef, it's the work of sur meirah, separating from the bad, and the acquisition, the asetoiv, the doing good. Yet, in the manner of service from above, a loftier step in our divine service to below, the journey is the exact opposite. After a great awakening of love of God, the acquisition, the kesef, the nechseif, he then separates himself from the world, the kiddushin follows. The difference between the two is really that they're two different types of service. The first, from below, is orderly. It's logical, holy and logical. And the experience of yearning for God through love can only manifest after one, in an orderly way, divests himself of their love for the world and the world's desires. The second is a level of service that is not orderly, and it's not logical. It, in fact, transcends logic. It's the divine service in which one says, no matter where I'm holding, I devote myself completely to God in a way that transcends logic. And that's how I will then separate from the desires and pleasures of the world. And therein lies the difference between the two sources and the two lessons that we have in how one can marry a woman through giving and their acquiring of something, something of monetary value. In Kiddushin, the separation from world to God, the Kiikach Ish, Isha, when a man takes a wife, talks to this orderly divine service separation from the world's nonsense, and then kesef, the love and yearning for God will develop. But this separation from world to God in the concept of the Jewish maidservant is a divine service of a servant to his master, a service that transcends logic. In this divine service, one can be completely devoted to God even before he fully separates himself from the world's nonsense. And he gets there through this absolute devotion to God that transcends logic. In addition, we should note that at an even deeper level yet, this has an integral connection to the idea of what is the Jewish maidservant on a deeper level. These two types of divine service are also connected to the different levels 
and states a person is at when he engages in this divine service. If a person is at a level where he needs an orderly, methodical journey of separation from the desires of the world, then his work must be from below to above in an orderly way. And he cannot reach those higher levels of yearning for and cleaving to God unless he first clears out the negativity within himself and the physical things that he lusts after. First, he needs separation, kiddushin. Only later will the kes of the yearning come. But when one has already distanced and separated themselves from the world's great stumbling blocks and barriers, the taivas, the desires of this world, and what's left is only to separate himself from his own inborn natural inclinations and to strive to reach higher to serve God beyond his natural comfort zone, he can do this through expanding his consciousness of God with deep contemplation and thereby transform his base nature to one that yearns for godliness with an intensity that changes the very nature of his desire for worldly things and transforms his natural inclinations. This is why this level of divine service is learned from a Jewish maidservant specifically, because as the Tzemach Tzedek teaches, the Jewish maidservant is a metaphor for the complete transformation that can take place. The maidservant works in the house. She takes produce from the field and transforms it into delicacies. And so too, a person can transform their internal drive and transform it towards the divine. And every person contains all of these levels. And we have all been given the capacity to devote ourselves and to cleave to godliness from a total place of love, which will organically create a separation from the desires of this world, affecting a total transformation in a Jew. And with this service, a woman is acquired by her husband. We are bonded to God in the ultimate union of marriage. May it be soon, through the efforts and the labor of our betrothal in these days of exile with the coming of Mashiach Tzitkenu.